it's good that everybody else knows what we what we do here at Cross Life. Um, so this one, I call it the one pager, and I've got notes on my side. Um, what I want to do is I just want to remind us again here at three years old uh, as a church, here's what we do, and here's why we do it. This is what Cross Life is about. And you know what? You may absolutely love everything about Cross Life, and yet God is calling you elsewhere. And my genuine heart is that's where I want you to be. You will not get into heaven because you attended Cross Life. You will not get into heaven because I or others have prayed for you. You will get into heaven because of your faith in Jesus Christ as your Savior and walking in a way worthy of the manner, or walking in a manner worthy of the gospel throughout your life. So here's where we are as Cross Life. This one is more conversational. But just so y'all know how, how unusual these kind of messages are, as a church, we have walked through Galatians, verse by verse, John, oh, y'all help me out, Jonah, James, and Titus. And then we've been through the first 22 chapters of Genesis, and now we're going to go to Philippians. And so we like to, to keep the Word as the primary reason that we gather, and Jesus Christ is the most attractive thing of all that we do. Now that said, that's why this one's kind of atypical, uh, an atypical message. This is much more topical, but I hope you hear that Christ is at the center uh, and the Scripture's at the center of all that we do. Okay, so the mission statement, there are blanks there. I'm not going to call anybody, Megan, to say what goes in that blank. Rather, I'm just going to kind of walk with you through it. And, uh, and just a, it's just a way to, to see if you know before I say it. But Cross Life Fort Smith, here's why we exist, y'all. We want to be a biblically functioning church. Biblically functioning. What does that mean? It means if we can't line it up with what's in the Bible, then that's not what we do. So to that, to that point, we're going to talk about this later, we believe in a plurality of elders. We see a plurality of elders in Scripture. We see um, deacons in Scripture. Those are the two biblical offices that we see, elders and deacons, and they have two, distinct, two distinctively different roles. But we want to be a biblically functioning church. You know what that gives us a whole lot of? Freedom. I think that whenever we look at the church in Romans and, and Ephesus and Thessalonica, each of those, while holding to the core doctrines of the faith, looked a little bit different than the ones that were gathering in different cities. I believe that there is freedom in how we meet as long as we keep our purpose for meeting the same. Okay, we seek to multiply as a... I'm just curious if anybody's got this one. Begins with gospel, ends with sinner. Thank you, Megan, right there. Gospel-centered. Yeah, we want to be gospel-centered. What does that mean? The gospel is at the center of everything that we do. We were very clever on this. All right, so gospel-centered. Um, Y'all, every sermon that we preach must connect to the gospel because as you study Scripture, everything is about God's gospel and redeeming mankind to Himself. So we want to be very gospel-centered, but not just in our sermons, but, but look at the songs we sing and the songs also that we don't sing. We want to sing songs that really focus on who God is, what He has done for us, and how we respond to Him. So we want to be gospel-centered in all that we do, and we want to be gospel-centered in how we communicate with one another. I mean, if I'm talking to, to Jared and, and Jared and I are walking through, through a situation, I want him to remind me that regardless of how dark the night is, of how heavy something is, yes, Ricky, but remember, Christ has made us his own. I mean, the, when did the church quit talking so much about Jesus? Like, that's what we want, that gospel always at the center of all that we do. Okay, the next one. You are, do you have a cheat, cheater back? 
I really want to challenge everybody else to get their Awana badge to see if they know the mission statement. Okay, Christ exalting. Awesome. We are Christ exalting. We can, we can make much of cross life if we want to in this world, but it does absolutely nothing. There is, there is one who is exalted above every single thing, and that's what we want to echo here whenever we gather and whenever we meet together, wherever that is. We want to be Christ exalting, make much of his name because it's worthy. And we want to be a disciple making. So we want to be making disciples intentionally. I do think that there's a divorce in most mindsets within churches. There's the evangelism team, and then there's the discipleship team. For me, whenever he tells us to go make disciples, evangelism is just the first step of discipleship. So we're always evangelizing, and it's good to remind each other. You know, if I'm just going to use Jared here as an example again. Yes, but remember that while you were yet a sinner, Christ died for you. Like, as believers, we don't need to forget the gospel. We need to be reminded, y'all, I am still in a discipleship mode, and I will be until the day I die. I will never arrive fully to where others cannot speak into my life. That's not how God has built His church. He's built it so that I am one of the body, and the body is one of me, and we walk alongside one another. Okay, but the key word actually are not the blanks, uh, following those three blanks. It's actually the word there at the very end. It's a powerful word, community. We want to be gospel-centered community. We want to be a Christ-exalting community. We want to be a disciple-making community. Why is community a powerful word? Because community is overarching. It's over. You've already heard some evidence of it. If you come to Cross Life, some of you have already learned this about me, you're going to be known, and we're going to be reaching out to you. You cannot come to Cross Life and just be invisible because we feel like it's our, our great responsibility to walk along so on. I'm so sorry, y'all. Walk alongside one another. So if you come to Cross Life, you will be known. Don't come to Cross Life if you want to hide, because we won't let you. And my wife gives me a really hard time about that. But we think that that's, we just believe genuinely, biblically, that's how it's supposed to be. If God has gathered his saints together, then I can tell you on the pastoral side, I'm going to be reaching out to you usually at least once a week, just saying, hey, how are you? How can I be praying? How can I walk alongside you? And you might share something with me where I'm like, you know what, you should, that's great. You should really reach out to Trent on that. I bet he can, bet, I bet he can help you. And then the women are doing the same thing. But community is together. We're not just a bunch of families who come in here and say, hey, we want to sing together. We want to give high five, shake hands, and then go. That's, that's great for another ministry. That's not what Cross Life is about. Cross Life is about doing life together. Um, we, that's part of our core conviction. Okay, our distinctives. Y'all, and I have lots of scripture, and I realize I could get bogged down. Whenever I told, made a comment to Chess, I said, I'm being very careful that I don't hit rabbit trails. And she goes, you would never hit rabbit trails. <laughs> so sometimes joke, and it's always a joke that I married the Holy Spirit. She sometimes so clearly communicates what needs to be said. Okay, but these are core distinctives. What does it mean to, to sit in cross life and to be a part of it? We believe very strongly as a core conviction in expository preaching. You do not need my wisdom, mine. You don't need my knowledge. You don't need my life experiences. You don't need my stories, and you don't need my jokes. Branson exists for a lot of that stuff right there. That's entertainment. I will share a story or an anecdote if it's applicable to the text, but what God's people need is God's Word. And sadly, what happens in our culture these days is for the sake of pursuing many other goals, we no longer preach the Word. 
if when I cease to be in ministry or when I am finally standing before God, it can be said that I faithfully preach the word, that's the highest commendation for me. That's why in, in three years we've covered so many books. Y'all don't need my wisdom. You need God's wisdom. He has provided His Word. It is profitable and good for teaching, for equipping, for rebuking, so that all of God's people can be equipped. But if you want my experience at the age of 38, I've pretty much run out of it, okay? There's going to be a limit to it. You don't need my wisdom. You don't, I, don't, I don't think it's necessarily wrong to say here are three ways to, to, to have a better marriage right now or to grow in your trust of the Lord. I don't think that's necessarily wrong, but, but you know what's more beneficial is to take God's Word, which He breathed out and moved men to write and communicate that because the Spirit that pinned those words is a Spirit that's within us, and that is how God has chosen to sustain us. So John 17, 17 is a really good verse to remember. I try to quote it quite a bit. Jesus is with His disciples, and He says, well, does anybody know it? I'm just curious. Okay, some of you knew the reference, Chuck. Yep, I know it's coming. Okay, Father, sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. You and I must be sanctified. Sanctified, just a fancy word for growing in holiness. So Jesus prays for his disciples. He says, sanctify them in truth. And what is truth? Your word. So we keep the word ever before us. In fact, I am so simple-minded in this regard, so simply convinced of this conviction that if we gather today... And we read scripture. If, if Gavin read the opening verse this morning and then a storm came up and we couldn't and we had to go home and we didn't get to finish church, right? And I'm doing that for a reason because, okay, but we didn't get to finish the church time, the church hour. I still think it was an incredible, successful morning because God's word was spoken. Like it will go out, scripture says, and it will do the work that it was intended to do. Okay, it also... Um, it reminds us of 2 Timothy. The charge of the pastors and the elders is to preach the word. Not preach, not entertain, but preach the word. We have one thing that we can preach, one thing that's authoritative, and that's the word. And so we prayerfully consider, Lord, where will you have your people? And we study, and we try to, try to um, share that with you. Okay, I'm going to keep going. Do y'all want to go left and right, or do y'all want to go up and down? Up... Okay, I like left and right. It's like ping pong. Okay, we already know this one. I just want to remind you, we are a Christ-exalting community. May all that we do and say and believe and take delight in be Christ. Some of these have long explanations. Some of them don't. Okay, the next one going down. We want to be, this is scary. I'm not going to lie. We want to be a multiplying church. Why in the world is that scary? Because once people start to do life together and God grows that to about 100 and 125 and we're sitting here thinking, man, this is good, but, but there probably needs to be a church that looks like this on the other side of town. Then it gets scary because are we willing, for the sake of the gospel and for the kingdom expansion, are we willing to multiply out and, and these families go over here to do this work so that he may gather some in over there? And That's scary. I'm not going to lie. But I think it's what we've been called to do. We will be a multiplying church. I honestly think about 100 to 125 like covenanted members, I think that that's about my capacity for being able to reach out, know who you are, you know me, me feel like I can pastor you effectively. Once we start getting to that threshold, now some of you are doing the math, you're like, oh, praise the Lord for a small church. Okay, But, but it may be that, that God continues to grow cross-life in that way, and 
we begin to look at, okay, Lord, you have been raising up other people who, are, who can lead in worship, those who can preach, those who can run men's and women's. Why are you doing this, Lord? Why are you equipping people? And there's dual equipping going on because he's about to send a team out. That's been the program from the beginning. Not to create cross life, to be uh, a building or a big church and amass all sorts of numbers, but that we may grow in holiness. That's been our desire. So we want to be a multiplying church is to see holiness grow. If we, just kind of looking around very briefly this morning, if we're, let's say, 30 people, and I know we're missing several of ours. If, if everybody were here, let's take 50. So if everybody were here this morning, 50 to 60 people. And five years from now, we are the same 50 to 60 people, except we have grown in holiness. Then praise the Lord for His faithfulness. But we never want to be so inward looking that we neglect the Great Commission, which teaches us to go out. So that's what we mean by multiplying church. We want to multiply and grow within, like in our holiness. But it means that we're also gearing up to, I don't want to be the church that continues to amass people here whenever we should be sending them out. We want to be a church of intentional, intentional discipleship is the next one. We want to be intentional about this. I think the discipleship happens in life, but we also want to be looking out for one another. And, and I, want, I want other men who are um, like faithful mentors, like I said to me, and they're, they're going, Ricky, how, how are you doing in your walk? How are you growing in this way? And we're coming alongside one another. We don't want to just wait on this byproduct to happen. We want to be intentional. You know why? Because we've been called to make disciples. We make disciples by evangelizing, but we also make disciples by, by men meeting with men and women meeting with women. And as we see a need and as God draws our hearts together, making time for coffee, making time for text. But we want to be intentional about discipleship because it's what we've been called to do. We also want to be a church. This one is a big one for me. We do want to be a church of deep theology. Deep theology. What do I mean by that? First off, theology is a study of God. Everybody is a theologian. Everybody's a theologian, even the atheist. In other words, everybody has an idea about God. And then even as we look through our churches and we look in pews or, or benches or chairs or wherever it is we decide to gather, everybody's a theologian and has a thought about God. The problem is... Most people are bad theologians. They have thoughts about God, but they can't rectify them and, and line them up with Scripture. So they have these ideas. So if y'all will, um, please go to, let's go to John chapter 4. Because many pastors would love to teach theology, but they don't always get a chance to because whenever you start saying theology and you start getting into heavy matters, then, then people are not as attracted to that. They, don't, they aren't one to sit there and really try to wrestle with the sovereignty of God in all things. Or, or with, um, with any, there's so many things we could go into. The, the omnipresence of God, the omnipotence of God, the communicable attributes of God. I take great delight and joy in that. <clears throat> I get it. I'm an anomaly. But you know what you need to be reminded of? The attributes of God. We need to be reminded that the way that the world views God and the way that we've been comfortable viewing God has led to the world falling away from God. But we need to be reminded of a deep theology. So in John chapter 4, verse 23, I told you all to turn. I'm sorry I wasn't there yet. John 4, 23, just listen to this. In a, in a time whenever there are books and whole movements based on experiencing God and that emotional response and the experience that, let me tell you the truth, many churches try to build your Sunday morning as an experience. You go in and your, your worship is enlivened and deepened because of the experience. A whole lot of thought goes into the lighting, the, the production, 
the, the balance and the mix. And, and as you walk in, what do you see as soon as you walk in the door? And then whenever you sit down, I mean, I've been on church staffs. So there's a whole lot of thoughts that go into the production of the church. And then we, we move more towards the heart. And we move away from the mind. John 4, 23, um, Jesus is talking to the woman and he says, But the hour is coming and is now here when true worshipers will worship the Father in two ways, in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship Him in spirit and truth. I can get up here and I can tell you a story, and you can be delighted, and you can have much joy, and you can feel light whenever you leave here. But we also need that truth to be the gravity. We need to be drawn into truth. Because here's, here's the reality of it. Whenever we wrestle and begin to grasp the truth of God, then we will be filled with joy and security. Whenever the word washes through us, we will be better husbands and better fathers and better co-workers in the gospel. When the word goes in and our theology is straightened up so that we can see that God is glorious and majestic and above all things, whenever our theology clicks and comes together, then everything else really does begin to take care of itself. We want to be a church that works through and practices deep theology. Y'all, Our theology shapes us. What we believe about God is going to dictate how we interact with others. Do I really trust Him? Do I really trust Him to avenge? Do I really trust Him to sustain me? Do I really trust Him to work in them? Do I really trust Him? That question all is rooted in my theology. I'm going to keep going. We believe in regenerate church membership here. What is regenerate church membership? That's not preached about a whole lot. That's not a common term. Well... Whenever we say a, a born-again Christian, I'm going to start there, that's actually um, saying the same thing. If you're born again, you are a Christian. If you're a Christian, then you're born again. You know, but th- those are the terms we know, okay, born-again Christian. If I said, are you a Christian, and you said, yes, I really do faithfully, truly believe those things, well, then you are regenerate. A regenerated heart is a new heart, and that only comes from God. So regenerate church membership means that to be a member at Cross Life, you have to be a professing believer. You can, you can be a guest alongside us all you want, but as soon as you say, hey, we'd really love to be a member here and, and come alongside, and then I say, okay, great, let's schedule a new member interview, to which my wife has said, quit calling it an interview, because it's scary. That's not, I don't mean for it to be scary. <laughs> I think it's exciting. But we schedule a new member meeting. That looks like you come into to my house or to the DeBoer's house or to an elder's house and we're having dinner with you and we're hearing about what is God doing in your life? How has He equipped you? How has He not equipped you? But we're really just seeing what the Lord is doing. And if you are, um, let, let's just say, well, let's just say that you've always grown up in church, but you've never made that profession of faith. Well, then we want to talk to you through that. And, and I'm also okay being the slow, slow path guy. I'm not going to say, well, we need to get you converted right now this very single moment because I can't force what God is trying to do in your life. He may have you on a journey. So regenerate church membership just means that the members of Cross Life are professing believers. Are they perfect believers? No, but we're professing believers. And so that's what it means. We can look at Matthew chapter 16. Uh, Jesus is talking to Peter, and he asks Peter, but who do you say that I am? And Peter says, get over here to Matthew 16. Peter says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. 
And Jesus says, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. The church, historically, scripturally, biblically, is not just a building where people go. It's God's people. Those who believe in Him, who call on His name, they're the church. That's why earlier I said, and if we didn't get to finish church, you know, whenever we go out from here and everybody's in their home and, and we're in Greenwood and Fort Smith and, and some hit the road and go to Little Rock today, the church exists whenever, wherever God's people are. So this idea of church is not a place we go to. It's something that we are. And so we believe in regenerate church membership. That's also important because what happens in many churches is we have people who, who are not saved. I'm not judging them. I can't know hearts, but we just know from Scripture what happens is that and what we see in life is that sometimes church attendance is a country club thing. Hey, we want to be a part of that church. We walk down there, we sign the card, and then our name's on a roster and it's on a roll, and we just kind of roll with that. Well, what happens is that the world begins to sit in the pews and not regenerate church members. And so we just want to be very mindful. Um, regenerate church membership. We want our membership to, as much as we faithfully can, reflect that these and that God has called together are um, believers. We believe in purposeful prayer. Let me tell you, any strategy can work. But we can place a whole lot of that in our skill level and our mindset. Y'all don't need my skill. You don't need my strategy. What we need is we need to be purposeful in our prayer. So I know that if I reach out to the church and say, hey, I need prayer in this way, I'm thankful because we have a regenerate church membership and because we're all like-minded and pushing and pulling for together that there will be prayer. But it also means that whenever we come together, we should be praying. You cannot look at Scripture and see any separation between God's movement and those who are praying for Him to move. Keep going a little bit further. We believe in a plurality of elders. This is for the protection of the church and to be scripturally and biblically functioning. You don't need a CEO who sits at the head of the church and makes all the decisions and says, this is where the buck stops. What Scripture has, has prescribed, um, and I, you can say it describes it or it prescribes it, I think what it prescribes is a plurality of elders. We see it. He's always equipped multiple biblically qualified men to lead his church. I need biblically qualified men to walk alongside me who can also speak into my life and who can also make sure that for the good of the church, everything's not Ricky's decision, or vice versa. But biblically qualified elders, um, we do strongly believe in that. And we also believe in deacons. We do not have deacons right now at the church, but I can tell you, we're on the cusp of it, because we see that God has equipped some to be deacons. What does that look like? You notice that whenever it comes up for deacons and elders, we don't do the whole nominee, hey, who do you nominate to be the elder? Who do you nominate to be the deacon? I'm not criticizing that. I just think that the way it works best is we just recognize who God has already called up. So that whenever we say, hey, here's our, we're recognizing this person as an elder, you know what? Everybody's kind of going, yeah, like that just makes sense. Whenever we say we're recognizing this person as a deacon, I think the question that probably goes on in, or should happen is, I, already, I thought that they already were. Like we recognize what God is already doing. Um, we don't place people where we want them. Um, this is a big one for me. Members are, by the way, we're not necessarily aiming to get through this whole page today. Okay, I'm just giving you something you'll be able to take with you. But these distinctives share the heart of who we are. 
Um, members are freed and equipped to serve as gifted. Members are freed and equipped to serve as gifted. This may be unusual for, for you if you've said in a, I'm just going to say, quote, traditional church um, for very long. I don't think we're that untraditional, but we're, maybe we're traditionally untraditional or untraditionally traditional. We got a lot of tradition that runs through here, but we're also willing to, to question the model that's out there for the sake of being biblically functioning. You know what we see in Scripture? We see it in um, 1 Corinthians 12 and 13. I do want you to turn there because this one makes all of this make sense. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. This is kind of a lengthy reading, but it, it really captures, I hope, the heart of what we're striving for here. I feel like it's something that we have lost in most of our modern churches. So 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Verse 4, Paul's writing, he's writing about spiritual gifts, he's writing about the church, and he says, Now, there are a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. It does not say the pastoral staff, it does not say the elders, it does not say the deacons, it says in everyone. This is applicable to all believers everywhere, to each to each and every one of them, is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. So each one of us has been given a gift or a talent. It's been portioned to us, not for ourselves, but for the good of everyone within the church. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom. So there are some who have more wisdom. And to another, the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. Some can communicate it quite differently. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by the one Spirit. I know that's a fun one. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, the ability to distinguish between spirits. To another, various kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. And you're like, oh man, we're going to start doing tongues and healing and laying on a man. I don't think that that's the point of the passage. The point of the passage is that we've all been gifted in different ways. And at that time, those were the issues they were dealing with. But we still hear the manifestation. Let me keep going. All of these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as He wills. You will not have the same gifts in your life that I do. That's not how God did it. And you may have gifts and giftings and talents in your life that are perfect for while you are a member at Cross Life Fort Smith, but then God decides to move you to a new context, and all of a sudden you realize He's gifting you in a new way, and it's for the good of that church. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member. It's not a CEO, pastor over everything. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would, make, that would not make it any less of a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members of the body, each one of them, as He chose. And if all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. It goes on and look at verse 27. Now you, that's the church, now you, the church, are the body of Christ and individually members of it. Here's the point in all of that. 
Your ministry, your giftings aren't the same as mine. And praise the Lord, they're not. And yours are not the same as mine. And praise the Lord, they're not. You don't want me leading worship. I joke with Trent that the Lord was stopping us because Trent was ready to buy a guitar and just start leading worship. And he was right there on the cusp. And then all of a sudden, God's like, hey, new members. No, hang on, hang on. Well, just a second. But yeah, look at, look at how he has blessed and equipped his church. I'm thankful for that. There are some of you who have such a deep faith that things that rattle me whenever I reach out to you, all of a sudden there's a word and there's a faithfulness on your lips that I need to hear in that moment. I don't have this thing all figured out. I'm not perfect. My faithfulness needs help sometimes. I need those who are of deep faith. I, I feel like I have a good portion of wisdom and able to communicate it. But if you want me to sit there and try and organize other aspects of the church, I am so happy to say, I don't know how to do that, but I'll come alongside you. Let me know what you need from me. So that's kind of different. But you know what? With regenerate church membership and each part of the body being free to serve and equip, Gavin has made a profession of faith. He has been baptized. Gavin, who read scripture earlier this morning, he is a brother in Christ. And you know what he loves to do? Read scripture in church. So he's been asking for a few weeks, when, when is my turn? Far be it from me as a pastor to say, you're too young to read scripture. So we want to see the body be the body. So as God has moved you and equipped you, we want to come alongside and, and encourage that. We are also going to be very pastorally concerned that we shepherd the flock very well. So it might mean that we have a conversation. doesn't mean I don't trust you, but I'm also called to shepherd the flock and to say, okay, well, let's walk through this a little bit more. Let's keep going. Look at all those alones. We're going to check your church history here. Giving some of you time. Okay. Everything that we do here, we want it to be Scripture alone. Do I think tradition is bad? No, that's not what that really means. It means that whenever you line up Scripture and tradition, Scripture wins. So Scripture alone, faith alone, where you're saved by faith alone, by His grace alone, by Christ alone, to the glory of God alone. Those kind of shape all that we are. Why'd you do it? Scripture said. Why'd you not do it? Well, Scripture didn't say we had to. There's a lot of freedom. Even uh, Jared and I were discussing this morning uh, just order of worship and service, and he's like, hey, I kind of see it this way, and I see that go this way, and it could be this way. And, and I was like, yeah, I think that there's a lot of freedom. And we're both in there, and I think that there's an agreement there. Like, you're just like, yeah, there's freedom to do things different ways. Okay, next to the top list. We are a simple church. Y'all, we are sitting on cafeteria benches, for crying out loud. I don't know if you figured that out, but the tops fold down to become the backs of benches. We have met on back porches with quilts and fold-out chairs. We've had metal chairs that are now stored. We have met in different living rooms. I don't care where we meet as long as we are faithful to meet as God has called us to meet. It may be because of how, converse, you know, just like how God keeps bringing conversations circulating around and I always want to be mindful. It may be that, that he one day says, hey, here's where you're moving. Fantastic. And we may be meeting here a year from now. I don't know. Truth is, I don't care. But as long as all the distinctives are right and we keep church, I believe it needs to be simple so it can be replicable. I hope that Jackson grows up and, and is sitting in, in cross life 
And then should he someday say, I, I want to be a pastor of a church, it's something that's not unattainable. I do think that we have built systems and, done, and put certain practices in place to where planting a church and going out as a church has become an impossible or overbearing task. I don't know how to do that. I can't do that. Y'all, we had Spotify for about three years almost, and then God in His faithfulness has provided um, three different groups of worship teams or leaders, um, one for each year is what a pastor pointed out to me. He's like, see, he's faithful. He answered them. He just did it all at one time. So, um, but we want to be a simple church so that what we do can be done anywhere because, and, and, and we don't miss the faithfulness of God. But sometimes it's about the building. Sometimes it's about the program. Sometimes it's about the lights and it's about the structures. And I'm not criticizing. I'm just saying the conviction of cross life is we just want to make church simple so that we can simply be the church. Put the primary things as the primary things. We do believe in being an intergenerational church. We do dismiss kids to go back so they can get a lesson on their level, but right around the third grade to fourth grade level, we're wanting them to be out here um, listening to the sermons. There's a lot that they won't catch, but you know what? By God's grace and His Spirit, there's a whole lot that they're going to catch. One of the big things they're going to catch is, oh, mom and dad, and they're like, they, they're reading their Bible. Like, they're going to catch that. We want them to be singing the songs of the church. We want them to be hearing what it's like to pray. Like, we want to be intergenerational. There are verses for the sake of time. Um, you know what? I don't care. Let's go to Titus chapter 2. We want to be a Titus 2 church. Titus is kind of buried back there. Get your first and second Timothy, and then you've got your Titus. But I know some of you, you're like, well, we preached it. I've got it memorized. Got all your notes here. And so you don't need to go there because it's right there on the recall. Titus chapter 2. We want to be intergenerational. Titus chapter 2, verse 1. But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. And then he follows it with this. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and steadfastness. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior. I lost my place, sorry. Not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good, and so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure-working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. And then if we were to go to 1 Timothy 5.1, which is like a good parallel with these younger men. So just flip to your left just a little bit. 1 Timothy 5.1. It's really speaking to the, the younger men here. It's talking to Timothy, but it's, it's, he's the model for it. Do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father. Younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters in all purity. Honor widows who are truly widows. And then it, what we see scripturally is that in the life of the church, the generations need one another. Psalm 145, one generation shall commend your works to another generation. From the beginning... Fathers have been speaking into their children's lives and teaching of the faith. And to the end, fathers should be speaking into their children's lives. There should be spiritual fathers in this church who may or may not be elders or deacons, but they are fathering those younger men who are under them. And the younger men are sitting there just drinking it up and listening. Same thing with the older women to the younger women, the younger women to the older women. Y'all, I don't need to walk alongside other 38-year-olds who are in the same phase of life and we're just in there taking counsel with one another. I think Proverbs speaks to that. That's a counsel of fools. We don't know what we're doing. And we're sitting there giving advice left and right like we know what we're doing. 
I need to walk alongside personally older, more mature saints in the faith who can tell me what it's like to go through these phases in life. I remember sitting in a Sunday school. Chess and I were the youngest. We were like young 30s at that point, and we were the co-teachers in a class of the 55 and olders at that church. I loved it because I'm sitting there just listening, and a lady right back here says, uh, they're, they're talking through Genesis, and a moment comes up, and she's like, you know, my faith was really challenged whenever my son passed away a few years ago. And I just immediately leaned forward. I'm like, how do you, like, what do you do? How do you make it through that? Whenever I'm walking alongside um, others and they're like, yes, uh, our grown kids have, have walked away from the faith, and, and here's how we walk through that. I'm like, okay, like, that's what we need. We should be intergenerational. And you know what we older ones need? We need to be reminded that there is joy in life, and we need to hear these kids crying and moving around and restless and stuff like that. Okay, we want to be devoted, next one, to one another, to God, to the Word, and to the prayers. Don't worry, I'll repeat it. We want to be devoted to one another, to God, to the Word, and to the prayers. You can go to Acts 2.42. That's one of our banner verses um, for Cross Life Fort Smith. We thought, huh, what if, what if we just went to Acts 2.42 and, and these four simple things, like what if we just did these four simple things? Y'all already turned it, so let's do it. Acts 2. I really genuinely believe that this is how church should be. Acts 2.42. I know it seems idealistic. I've been told I'm an ideologue and, and I simplify and have an unrealistic expectations sometimes. I mean, they're speaking evil about me, so I can just let that slander go. But they're probably right. But look at Acts 2.42. The early believers, as the church is being born, what did they do? They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, which would now be for us the word, to the fellowship, so that's to one another, to the breaking of bread and to the prayers. That breaking of bread is a reminder that we are we're devoted to God. He has devoted himself to us goes on, and awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and all thing, had all things in common. There's that devotion to one another. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. You know what our growth model at Cross Life is? To be devoted to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to the prayers. You know who adds numbers to the church? God. He does it. We don't. We just have the joy of the fellowship. So it works for me. I mean, that's a huge... Oh, good. I don't have to get 75 people this week. What I want to... I want you to look at that word devoted. What does it mean to be Devoted. Deeply committed. That's why you're going to hear from me. That's why Andy prays for you. That's why we're in one another's lives. We want to be deeply committed to one another. We also believe in the joy of the believers. You know what you're going to have to remind me of sometimes? Quit grumbling and complaining and whining, Ricky. You have joy. Like We have to be reminded of the joy of believers. There are hard moments in life. Life gets heavy. I could say that, you know, other ways, but, but you get the, the basic idea. 
we need to be reminded of the joy that we have in the Lord. Unfortunately, what believers are known more for in many scopes is what they are against rather than what they're for. Like, well, they're against this, they're against this, they're against this. They sound like fuddy-duds. They're just, they don't get it. They have no fun in life. Oh, I have fun. Like, I have a lot of fun. We should be known for the joy that we have. It's not that we never cry. It's not that everything's perfect. It's that we remember that our God holds us in His hands. Everything that comes at us is either by His permission or by His doing. It's, it's all in His hands. And if it's by His permission, like He says, yes, I'm going to allow that, then it still means that He's sovereignly in control of it all. That changes how we walk through moments in life. We also want to be missional members. Missional um, is the word there, mission, A-L. What does it mean to be missional? We're living on mission. We're not having to wait on the mission trip to be organized so that we can go to, to, uh, to Nepal or to Lebanon. Those are good. But we're on mission as soon as we walk out that door. Parents, you're on mission in your homes. Whenever you go to work, you're on mission. We're in your neighborhood. You're on mission. Missional members means that we understand that whenever in Matthew 28, whenever he says, go and make disciples, a better translation is, as you go, make disciples. So in everywhere that we go, we are seeking to make disciples. We are living life on mission. We're almost done. We're just getting to the bottom of this list. We also believe in participatory meetings in church life. Participatory meetings. We don't usually use that word a whole lot. Um, but you get, we, we believe in participating in church. We believe in participating in, in church life. That's what we see in Acts 2. They're all participating in it. Now, just to kind of, since we have guests here, and I mentioned, you know, well, what does this look like? Because, um, y'all, I'm, I'm actually I'm a behind-the-scenes guy. I really do not like to be the guy who's in front of everybody. But just so happens that for this ministry and for this phase of my life, that this is what God's got me doing. And, and I'm not very, I think, I don't care if it was Gavin or Jackson this morning, but I told one of them, as I'm getting ready, I'm like, I'm nervous every single Sunday. Like, getting ready, like, just trying to think through everything. Um, Sometimes if you see me before and you're like, he's got a lot on his mind, um, like trying to, I'm just, I'm nervous. Like, I'm, this is way out of my comfort level to do what I do. But God gives and God sustains and God provides so that at the end of it, I can say in my weakness, he did everything good. But it means that whenever you become a part of the body, you're either the eye, the ear, you might be the belly button. I don't know. But everybody is a part of the body and everybody's contributing and everybody is somehow pulled in there but we're never going to ask you to serve where you're not equipped to serve. We're not going to tell you this is your gifting, this is what you're supposed to do, this is why you need to do it. Instead, we, we walk and we understand and help you understand, okay, here's where God has gifted you. You're geared in that way, and praise God that you are because I'm not. So we see Him build His church. And the last one, authentic lives of genuine pursuit. This is a scary one. Authentic lives of genuine pursuit. What does that mean? There's no performance. There's no need for you to perform to come in here. There's no pretense. There's no mask. If life is rough, let life be rough and let other believers come along and encourage you. If, if you're good and, and you're, you're struggling somewhere, then you share it. Because what good does it do you to not share it and let others encourage you? But we want to have authentic lives of genuine pursuit. And those distinctives all work themselves out in how we do church, uh, in our church life, and in why does our church exist? 
I want to remind you five things real quick of why our church exists at the very bottom. I know you can read the other words. Um, if, you have, I don't, if you have blanks on the other ones, then, well, you should be a better member and have it memorized. You can, that's on you and not me. Pray for the Lord's gifting. <laughs> Here it is. Five reasons our church exists. If we're not, you can read the verses yourselves. Number one, we gather for encouragement and to be the functioning body. I need the encouragement of seeing you here. You need the encouragement of seeing one another here. That's why the believers came together, to be encouraged and equipped to go back out. Number two, we come together to worship the one triune, that means the Trinity God, in spirit and truth. That's why we have worship in song, we have worship in preaching, worship in prayer, so that we can worship the one true God. Number three, this is a big one, um, and y'all know this about me. My chief desire is that as we gather, we're doing it to equip the saints for the work, uh, for work in the River Valley, because that's our immediate context. Uh, Ephesians 4 will tell you that we are to equip the saints to do the work of ministry. It means we keep equipping. My chief mode, my only way I can equip you is give you the word over and over again and, and walk with you alongside that. I do want you to hear Spurgeon, because I do feel like many, of, many pulpits have forsaken equipping with entertaining. And Spurgeon says, a time will come when instead of shepherds feeding the sheep, the church will have clowns entertaining the goats. Y'all be mindful of who you listen to in the church that you sit in. That lines up perfectly with what Scripture says, that in the end they will amass for them teachers who will tickle their ears and entertain them with myths and stories. My chief desire, Andy's chief desire, the future and upcoming elders of Cross Life Fort Smith. Our chief goal is not to entertain, but to equip. And we equip through the preaching of the word. Number four, we meet to be the bride of Christ. This is one of my major ones um, for me. And you can read these verses as to, to why I came to that conclusion. But as I shared with the men the other night, the church has lost, um, I feel, I'm trying to say this the right way. I feel like the church in modern days has lost sight of the dignity of who we are. We are the bride of Christ. That's what Scripture calls us. That's why we do want to keep growing alongside in holiness. But we are the bride of Christ, and with that there is a great responsibility and dignity. He is coming for us. And number five, we meet so that we can make disciples in Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. And you can see verses right there. So y'all, we we're Cross Life Fort Smith. There's a lot of simplicity to what we do. Because to follow Christ and to be His church is not a complicated thing. It's just to trust God and to come alongside others who are trusting God and make much of who He is. And as we do those things, then He will grow His church. And let me clarify, to grow His church doesn't mean in numbers, though we see that in Scripture, healthy things grow. But it may be that He puts us in seasons where we're growing deeper, so that as the roots go deeper, the plant can be stronger as it grows out. We don't have to figure those things out. You know what we do? We're going to be in Philippians very soon. It's God's Word. His Spirit moved, um, moved Him to write it. His Spirit was within us so that we can grow in it. And we trust our God to do everything that we cannot. At the center of all that is Christ who sustains us. Okay, so different message today. But it's a good reminder of who we are and who we are not um, we're going to worship our God um, in, in song and benediction. And then we're going to have a family meal. Guests, y'all are absolutely welcome to stay for that family meal. It's chilly. I don't care how hot it is outside. It's always chilly weather. 
Okay, but y'all are welcome to stay for that. That's one of the other blanks on there, by the way. Second Sunday, everybody. It's family meals, fellowship meals. Y'all, let's pray. God, you have been so good to us, so faithful. Thank you that whenever our faithfulness lacks, yours is in abundance. We see that from Genesis to Revelation, that you are our faithful God. Lord, thank you that you have called Cross Life into being. Thank you that you sustain it. And Lord, I pray that you continue to grow it in whatever way you desire, in depth, in width. But Lord, regardless, may we be faithful to the ministry that you've called us to do. Lord, may you always be known amongst us and may we sing of your fame and your greatness, for you are all that there really truly is. Amen.